0: Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. What a joy to be together today. We're doing something a little different. So, we're actually taking a break uh, from our series on Matthew. We're going to spend the next several weeks, so we're going to do two kind of little mini series on two things going on uh, in the life of our church. I'm excited for this. Uh, this week, we're going to start a little, a little series, three weeks, called Disciple Life. And that's because as a church, uh, we are launching out our discipleship process, which that's very exciting to me. I know for probably a lot of you in the room, you're like, uh, cool. <laughs> and if that's you, that's fine. If you don't know what that phrase means, that's fine. It's just a very churchy phrase uh, that refers to our plan as a church to help one another engage our faith? What's our plan as a church to help each other engage our faith? Guys, Matthew 28, Great Commission, really famous passage. It makes it really clear. We are all, every single one of us who claims Christ, we are all called to make disciples who then go and make more disciples. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple. Here in that word, student. To follow Jesus is to be a student of Jesus. This is the call of every Christian, whether you've been following Christ for five minutes or 50 years. And this is the call of every church. And you know, we articulate that universal Christian mission to go and make disciples here at Emmanuel in our mission statement. As Christ pours into you, he pours out of you. We say that a lot as a church. And we, this means that we believe that it is out of the overflow of Christ's own love and ministry to you that you engage in the mission of making disciples yourself, right? Like we use that phrase, as Christ pours into you, he pours out of you. And don't get me wrong, I'm not making fun of it. I like that phrase. It's like pretty. It's based out of imagery, right? Like it's kind of this, you know, gives you kind of pictures in your head. I I like that phrase. What we mean by that when we say that and why we repeat it all the time is that we believe that Jesus Christ is so good... That when you experience the gospel, when Jesus does his ministry to your own heart, that there is an abundance. That there's more than enough gospel to go around. That it is out of the overflow of your own heart that you engage in the work. That Christ, you find so much life and fulfillment in Christ yourself, that you cannot help but share him with those around you. So a church's discipleship strategy is essentially, right, like how do you take that mission statement and make it actually practical to the everyday stuff of life? You know, it's this, it's this pretty phrase It uses imagery. We believe, oh, it's, it's out of the overflow of your relationship with Christ that you engage in the mission. That's cool. What does that actually mean? Like, what does that look like in the life of our church? How we set up our structure, what we expect of one another, how we live our day-to-day life. And a discipleship strategy is supposed to be something that helps us get there, helps us contextualize the gospel into everyday life. And so what we've landed on, our pastors together here at Emmanuel, is this thing. And by the way, I man, this is going to sound like way too much like school, but it's what it is. So I'm sorry. I actually, there's a little write-up on this. this. is a handout that's on the back table that you can grab on your way out if you want to think about this piece more because this is something that's important to us. But the way we've articulated our discipleship process here at Emmanuel is this. I want to see you grow in Christ, connect with Christ's church, and share with Christ in the mission. Grow, connect, share. Again, there's a handout in the back. It talks about it, goes into each one. There's, there, there's kind of like some, some core discipleship classes that really want to see our church evolve. And if you call this your church home, we'd love to see you participate in them at some point. We'll have them on regular rotation of a a Discipleship 101 class where we dig into some of the specifics of starting out in the life of discipleship and applying that whole idea of Matthew 28. The Emotionally Healthy Discipleship class where we talk about what it looks like to actually see yourself flourish in your own heart, in your own mind, processing your story to the glory of God. And then our membership class, right? Like to actually commit to be part of the life of our church. And and, here's the thing, guys. It, It comes back to, when we say this, like grow, connect, share, Grow in Christ, connect with Christ's family, share with Christ's mission. We're talking about an actual process that you can apply to your life, right? Like that actually speaks into why we choose to do certain things, why our programming looks the way it is, and the ways we can challenge one another to engage our faith. And so so it essentially goes like this, and this is what we're gonna dig into for the next three weeks. Grow. When we talk about growing in your faith, growing in Christ, what we're saying is, man. Are you taking next steps in your spiritual health? Every single one of us has a next step that will move us toward greater spiritual health, greater spiritual maturity. Are you identifying and taking next steps in your spiritual health? Connect. Are you intermingling yourself with the life of a local church? And by the way, here when I say this, I'm not saying like you have to intermingle yourself with the life of Emmanuel, like a local church. You need to find a local church that you can plug yourself into and mingle your life into their lives. And then share. Are you you joining with Jesus and your local church in the larger gospel ministry of going out to proclaim the gospel to seek and save the lost, right? That's that's kind of what we're looking at. Grow, connect, share. Today, we're going to do one of these each week. Today, we're going to talk about this first step, what it means to grow. And it comes down to this, guys. We all need to grow in our faith. We can, like, baseline, we can agree on that part, right? Yeah? Like, every single one of us, regardless of whether you're still even considering if you want to follow Christ, or you've been following Jesus for decades upon decades, we all have room to grow in our faith journey. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah! This Guys, this is because you never complete your sanctification. I mean, until you are in eternity with Jesus. When when Christ returns and restores all things and makes you completely like himself and you step into your eternity, yes, your sanctification will be complete. You will be sanctified, holy, made like Christ, awesome. But until that happens, you don't arrive. We've all got next steps in our faith. You're in a state of growth and sanctification. As long as you live life on this earth, as you pursue Christ... You have next steps of growth, next steps of growing in holiness. So, several years ago when I first took a pastoral position at Red Tree Church. That was one of the churches that merged together to plant Emmanuel a couple years ago. So this is several years ago when I first took a pastoral position there. This is when I was still, uh, for those of you guys that know my story, I was still doing church planting assessment. I thought I was going to move my family to North County and plant a church there. I was doing my residency at Red Tree and working through that stuff. There was an immediate need, and I got asked to lead one of the gospel communities, one of the small groups at Red Tree. So Kim and I stepped in and started leading this gospel community. And this was the the gospel community at Red Tree that contained uh, all of the senior citizens at the church. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, it was, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> it, was such, it was such a fun and weird transition because Kim and I, at the time, we were still in our 20s which seems like a forever time ago. And we were sitting in this group with folk who were mostly older than our parents, right? Like, just just hanging out, doing life, sharing the gospel, working together. And and I'll be honest, guys, God used that in really powerful ways in Kim and I's life. That group was something that became really special, really sacred to us in our story. Millie was born while we were in that group, and so we got to sit with folk who were just way farther along in life and marriage and their faith to talk us through all the normal, terrifying, fearful things that happen when you have your first kid. It was a really cool season. But in the midst of that, uh, one week I got to preach at Red Tree, which at that time I didn't get to preach terribly often. So it was a big deal. I got to preach. And then later that week I show up to a small group and we're sitting just kind of talking about, oh, what did you guys think about the sermon? What did God tell you this week? And kind of the normal small group stuff. And someone in our group like stopped for a minute and began to share how something I'd said in the sermon was uniquely convicting for them. And how it had drawn to light an area of sin in their life that they were completely unaware of. And they just sat back and they go, I've been following Jesus for 35, 40 years at this point. And this sin has been present in my life this whole time. And I've never put language to it and identified it until this weekend. And now I'm beginning to walk in repentance. And that's just nuts to me that it's taken this long in my faith to have clarity around this and begin to engage it. And guys, I'm telling you, that... That moment is just singed in my memory because it was such a beautiful picture of what the faith journey looks like. Because this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Your sanctification does not stop until you get to your forever with Jesus. We always have next steps. There's more areas, more depths of our heart, areas of idolatry, areas of sin, areas of brokenness, areas where trauma or the sin of others has affected us, and you just don't, you don't even know yet the work that God's going to be doing in your heart 25, 30 years from now. You don't have enough clarity on it yet, but God is so faithful. He never ceases to work on you, never ceases to mold you into his likeness until he takes you into his forever. We all have a next step in our faith, and I think there is something so beautiful about that reminder. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, if you don't mind. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 today. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we have house Bibles around the room. Just look under the chairs around you. Uh, you, By the way, we we really believe in the importance of access to God's Word here at Emmanuel. So if you're here today and you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, I'd encourage you to snag one of those house Bibles and take it home or talk to one of our pastors and we will get you one that is nicer. Uh, But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Ephesians 4, that's near the end. I used to tell the students, i say, open your Bibles in the middle, you'll be in the Psalms. And then go to the right, so you get Ephesians. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to find, you know how to work your way through the little letters in the New Testament, right? It's girls eat popcorn. You ever thought about that? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you go. There you go. Hold on to that one. That's free. Uh, Ephesians 4, we're going to start in verse 11, where it says this. And he himself, this is referencing Jesus, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together with every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord for us today. Pray with me, church. Father, we pray that today, as we take a few minutes to consider this text, to consider what you might be calling us to as individuals, what you might be calling our church to, God, I just pray that you would give us fresh, clear, humble eyes today. Lord, we want to hear from you. God, especially for those of us who have just hit a stuck point in our faith. For those of us who have hit some kind of spiritual wall or plateau, whether it is some area of sin that we're just not willing to walk in repentance of or just the busyness of life or the loves or the comforts of this world God, whatever it is that is keeping us stuck and our wheels spinning, Lord, I pray that for those of us today, that's us, that you would speak to us afresh. You would challenge us to walk with just a newness in our faith, Lord, to consider the call from you to take next steps, to grow in our faith, to not stagnate. Lord, I pray that you would do amazing things in our midst, that we would get to be a part of them. God, we trust you for this. Spirit, we need you to do this work in us, so we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so. So, we're jumping into the middle of Paul's letter. And so, if that passage is a little confusing, stick with me. It'll begin to make sense as we pick it apart. So, Ephesians, if you don't know, this is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in a city called Ephesus. And if you go and you read through Acts and kind of the explosive growth of the early church, Ephesus was actually this really strategic church in terms of where it was located. It was was geographically really close to kind of the bridge between what was called Asia, like what we would call Turkey, but what was called Asia. In the Middle East, and then like the areas of Macedonia or Greece and Rome actually were. It was kind of this just geographically a really important space. And Paul actually ended up ministering in the church in Ephesus a lot longer than he did in most other churches. He camped out there for a long time. He actually wrote some of his other letters to other churches from Ephesus. This is a church that Paul knew well, had deep relationship with, and saw the, the important role they were playing in the global movement of Christianity in those first few decades. And so as Paul writes this letter to Ephesus, he writes them not just as a theologian, as an apostle, he's writing them as a pastor who knows them. He's writing them as a brother who shared life with them, and he's writing them as an apostle who has actual genuine concerns for this church. And it comes down to this, guys. Much more so than many of the early churches, Ephesus had a pretty small Jewish population. Most of the people who made up the leadership in the body of the early church at Ephesus were Gentile converts, which, which that doesn't mean anything in terms of their salvation, right? Like, it's one of the big issues of the New Testament in the book of Acts. The gospel's freely available to all. But it does create a unique pastoral concern for Paul, and that's this. He can't assume the church at Ephesus has a biblical grounding. See, if you go back and you read Acts, you'll notice that the kind of missional strategy for church planning amongst the apostles uh, was really, really similar. They would go into an area, they would find the Jewish population, folks who were worshiping in the synagogue or the place of prayer, and they would preach to them first in hopes of building a core group amongst people who already had deep biblical knowledge. And then the gospel would move out from there. And that happened in most of the early churches, and that happened to some extent in Ephesus. But a large chunk of the church body in Ephesus, doesn't have much biblical grounding. They didn't come from a Jewish background. They're Gentiles, new to the faith, new to the exploration of the scriptures, new to the truth of the gospel. And so Paul writes to them with genuine pastoral concern to see them rooted and grounded in their faith. And so there's this movement in Ephesians that's really interesting. He starts by just going, let me rehash the gospel in as simple and clear terms as I possibly can. Like, go back and read Ephesians 2 on your own this week. It is one of the most clear, most beautiful, articulated gospel presentations in the whole of the Bible. Like, Paul goes goes straight to the meat of the matter. And once he gets past that gospel proclamation. Well, he kind of brings us back, hey, here's the thing we're united around. As you go into Ephesians 3 and then into Ephesians 4, where we're at, you see Paul make this shift, where all of a sudden he starts letting the church know, hey, listen, I'm praying for you guys. I'm concerned for you guys. I want to make sure that you guys grow in maturity and unity, I want you to make sure you're growing in your faith. I am praying to that end. I'm praying for you guys that you would keep growing in depth, that you would grow together in unity. And then there's this bit heading into chapter four where we are where he goes, but you're not on your own in that. I'm not, I'm not praying this just out into the ether. Like You need to know Christ is in this work with you. You're not just on your own trying to figure out how to, how to do your faith. No, 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 no. Christ is the one who will grow you in maturity, who will grow you in unity. Because, because he's so generous and he, and he has this authority and he gives these good gifts to the church to take care of them. And that's where our text picks up. What are those gifts? What is it that Jesus gives to the church to help them grow in maturity and faith, this thing that Paul is praying for this church? And look how a text opens. He himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Jesus gives this church the gift of gospel proclamation through its leaders, right? Folks who help build up the church and connect them to the gospel. The common thread between all the different kinds of people or gifting that Paul mentions there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these are all people who point to the gospel of Jesus. God gives the church leaders who expound upon and proclaim the gospel. And what does that do? Paul says it right here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To build up the body of Christ. Jesus' gift of good leaders who proclaim the gospel equips individual Christians for ministry. And that builds up the church. Builds up the church communally. So there's this this movement here from this kind of individual growth maturity into corporate growth and maturity. And look what it says next, this is verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith, right? God gives this gift, they do that they're going to equip the church, they're going to build the church and it's going to keep happening until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. This gift Jesus gives to the church of gospel proclamation, this draws the church together into both unity and maturity. This proclamation ministry, yeah, it helps empower individual Christians to live out their faith, which then grows the whole church into unity and maturity. And I love that Paul neatly defines for us what he means by Christian maturity. It is the measure of Christ's fullness. Meaning, Christian maturity means simply a life that looks like Jesus. It's measured by the fullness of Christ. So Jesus gives the church the gift of gospel-proclaiming leaders so the individuals in the corporate church can both look more like him. It is the gospels proclaimed in the church the individual members of the church, the church as a whole, looks more and more and more like Jesus. So far, so good. Look at verse 14. This is, I think, really important for us today. Because then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown away by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. This work of the church helping build individuals and the whole church, guys, this is important work. That growth of maturity, it is important work. It's important for the church. It helps helps keep us from being tossed around in our faith. Because there there were tons of different ideas about spirituality and emotional health and human flourishing floating around the first century Roman Empire. I mean, go back and, and, and read the, the story of the exploding early church in Acts. Like It goes out of its way to let you know, the rich folk in places like Athens or Corinth, Corinth these more Greek cities, their hobby was to sit around and listen to the newest ideas about how people can live their best lives. Paul was genuinely concerned for his friends, for his family, for the folk in this church who had little little biblical foundation. He didn't want to see them turned aside by all the strange and unbiblical ideas that were floating around their world at that time. Now guys, I know that this just seems really foreign and strange to us today, right? To, To live in a world where most folk haven't actually read their whole Bible cover to cover and are surrounded by conflicting ideas about life and spirituality and sexuality and emotion and human flourishing that are contrary to the way of Jesus. I know that's just like a really weird foreign thing to us. But you have to remember, that was normal in the first century. (laughs) It's normal here right now, in case you didn't catch the sarcasm there. That's the world within which we live, right? We're surrounded by these conflicting ideas that say, "No, no, 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 this is the best way to live your spiritual life. No, no, no. This is how to find flourishing. No, no, no. This is how you find your deepest meaning, your purpose. You just need to look to this idea, this experience, this pleasure, this whatever. And so many of us, let's be honest for a moment, so many of us are completely ill-equipped to compare the messages that we hear in the media, on social media, in books, from friends, with what the Scripture actually teaches. (coughs) Many of us are so ill-read in God's Word that we don't actually have the ability to guard ourselves against the new wind of teaching. And so when all of a sudden you have two friends, three friends, four friends, who are all posting this same self-help guru in clips and videos about how to live your best life, and these are your friends, and you love them, and you trust them, and actually that does sound pretty cool, it's easy, it's easy Be tossed about back and forth by the newest teachings. Guys, beloved, this is exactly why growing in your faith is so important. Growth in your faith is so important. I don't know how many of you guys are like into gardening and plants and those sorts of things, but plants grow. I don't even know. Plants grow. Do you guys know that? (laughs) Sorry. But plants grow in more than one way. Right? They, they grow up, they grow out, they grow out new branches, they branch out to get more sunlight and do all those things. But they also grow down. Have you guys ever driven around uh, in the neighborhood like after a tornado touchdown? That's a pretty Midwestern question. But have you ever driven around a neighborhood after there was like a tornado that went through and you see that like 80-year-old oak tree laying on its side and, and the root ball at the bottom like just rips up like 25 feet of earth? You ever seen that? Like it's, it's really intense, Right? Because plants grow down as well as up. And roots are really important for plants, especially plants that are going to continue to grow up and out. They keep them from falling over. (laughs) They hold them in place. Beloved, if you're not rooted, if you're not growing in your faith, it is easy to be tossed about. It's easy to be sucked in and deceived by the newest idea, the newest teaching. You always need more grounding in the gospel. Always. Always. You do not reach a point of maturity where you can go, it's good. I'm done. I graduated. I heard all the needed sermons. I've read all the needed books. I just get to hang out till Jesus comes back now. That's not a thing. You always need to grow. Until Jesus takes you to heaven, you will not reach a place of maturity where you no longer need discipleship. We can all be tripped up by the winds of new teaching. And hear me, church, all of us, all of us, we can all be tripped up. But growth and maturity in Christ, growing against the measure of the fullness of Jesus, becoming more like him, and not just becoming more like him in your head, in your doctrinal knowledge, but becoming more like him in your heart, in the way you consider the world, and becoming more like him in your actions, and the way you fill your calendar, and becoming more like him in your habits, and the way you engage others, and becoming more like him in community surrounded by other people who are also becoming more like him. Those things bolster us against the foolishness of the world, they help. And as if that weren't enough, verse 15 gives us the method. You see this? Truth and love work together to make us more like Christ. Truth and love together. You separate those two things from each other and they can actually end up being really destructive. We all know people who are really quick to give truth but do it devoid of love. That's not a pleasant experience. (laughs) That's kind of brutal. And that often turns people away from the truth out of spite because they feel hurt. They feel stomped on. We all know people who give love and they give love so much that they're unwilling to give the truth because they don't want to offend, they don't want to hurt. That's not helpful. That leaves people comfortable and open. <laughs> open to being wounded and hurt and led astray. Truth and love work together. They work together to make us more like Christ. The truth of the gospel proclaimed in a context of love and safety of Jesus, beloved, that grows us into Christ-likeness. Growth and maturity and holiness, growth in Christ likeness. Guys, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. That experience, sanctification, of growth, of increasing in your maturity, your holiness, your Christ likeness, that is the Christian life. That is the Christian life. That's what, that's what we're doing as we live a life pursuing Christ. Our text ends out with this perfect transition to what Pastor Jesse is going to cover next week, and so I'm not going to get into it beyond this. Our personal, individual growth will always translate into corporate spiritual growth. You cannot mature in Christ and become more like Christ without becoming more involved, connected, entangled, unified with his church. That's how it works. But for today, we're going to come back to this idea. The Christian life is not static. Growth is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, if at this point, if what I'm saying, if it just sounds like too much, at this point, if you just feel kind of beat up, like you're just thinking about how bad you are at being a Christian right now, I want you to take heart. Beloved, remember the gospel. Jesus brings you into his kingdom apart from your works. Go back and read Ephesians 2 one of the best, most clear, most blunt gospel proclamations in all the scripture. You don't need to attain some magical level of spiritual maturity or worthiness in order to earn Jesus' love and favor. Beloved, you are the beloved of Christ. The gospel is free. Jesus loves you and he saves you exactly as you are. The gospel is a free gift of grace from God to you. But the reality is there is more to the story. The story does not end at the free gift of grace. Because Jesus loves you so much that he gives you the gift of the gospel in spite of yourself, in spite of your lack of worth. But he also loves you so much that he refuses to leave you in that state. Jesus loves you too much to leave you where he found you. And the reason for that, beloved, is this. You were not made for sin. You were not made for your idolatry. You were not made to wallow in the brokenness wrought upon you by trauma and evil. It will not be so in heaven. That's not how it will be. That's not the eternity Christ has prepared for you. That's not where he's taking you because that's not how he designed you. You weren't made for such things. So in his grace, he doesn't just save you here and now, although he does that. He also sanctifies you. He grows you. He keeps you changes you, molds you into his likeness. The Christian life is a life of growth and change because Jesus loves you so much that he will fix what sin has broken. He will make you more like him. If we were to read on... In chapter 4, it's really interesting. Paul, he, he, he begins, he, he goes from this place, right, of like, guys, I'm praying for you. I'm concerned for you, church. I'm pray- I want to see you grow. I want to see you grow in maturity. I want to see you grow in unity. I don't want to see you guys tossed around. I am praying for you, church. And then he transitions, and he gets brutally specific. Remember, Paul knows this church. He knows names, right? And so he starts going in and going, this thing that you guys are doing... Stop doing that. Repent of it and live this way instead. Kill this idolatry in your life and replace it with this righteousness. And he lists stuff out for this church. Put away your lying and put on speaking the truth. Put away your angry outbursts and put on reconciliation and unity. Put away your stealing and dishonesty and put on hard work. Put away your foul language and put on encouragement. Put away your bitterness, your anger, your wrath, your shouting, which accomplishes nothing, and put on kindness and forgiveness. Put away your sexual immorality and put on the love of Christ. Put away your dirty jokes and put on thankfulness. He gets really specific with this church. You need to grow in your faith, Ephesus, Paul says. You need to grow. You're not static. The gospel is a free gift. It brought you in. You're saved. You're saved by grace. But Christ wants more from you. He wants to do more in you. Notice a couple things about Paul's challenge for this church to grow in their faith. He knew this church well. He spent time with them. He knew the specific struggles of this church. And because of that, Paul gets really specific. He speaks to the real issues this church is dealing with. He doesn't just say, stop it. You notice this piece? He doesn't just say, stop doing that. No, no, no. He says, put off this sin, this idolatry, this evil, this part of your flesh. And put this on instead. He challenges them not just to repent of their sin, but to grow in holiness, to live righteous lives, to replace their sinful acts with righteous acts. And this is for the whole of this church, every Christian. Remember, because everyone is constantly growing. Sanctification doesn't end until heaven, which means all of Ephesus needed this challenge. And here, this, guys, all of us need this challenge. Which I think both just raises for us a really great question. If Paul knew us at Emmanuel Fellowship, if he knew you and me as well as he knew Ephesus, man, what do you think he would say? How do you think he might? I've made a list for you guys, and I'm going to go by name. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to go alphabetical through each one of you guys. <laughs> What does it look like for us to be people who are growing in our faith? What does that look like? That's a really important question. What what cultural idols and sins might we be more tempted toward than other communities throughout history or even throughout our culture? What do we need to put off that we might put on the gospel? Guys, I want to say this. Obviously, this question is something that is very contextual to every individual within this room, which is, by the way, why we all need to be discipled, each and every one of us. Guys, if you are struggling to break through to real growth in your faith, I need you to hear this. You need discipleship. God has given us the church for a reason. You need to be challenged to grow in your faith, to not sit in stagnation. Your pastors here, we love you guys. We're in that with you. You can reach out to any one of us. We'll sit down, we'll get a coffee, we'll get a meal, we'll talk about life. We'll help you think through, pray through, and really specifically zone into, and what are your next steps in faith? What kind of stuff do you need to work on to engage, to repent of, to grow? We want to be in that with you guys. Man, every single one of us, we have specific areas of sin, Specific areas of idolatry. Specific traumas or evils that were done to us. We all have areas where we can grow. It's specific. It's contextual. But I'm also not going to give you an out. Because we're sitting right here and we're together. And so I do think, I do think that there are some general cultural truths that are probably pretty generally applicable to a church like ours. And I think it can be helpful for us to call them out and consider how our church family together might speak against these things. And so I'm going to land us out today by taking just a minute to talk about four things. I'm going to talk about consumerism. I'm going to talk about materialism. I'm going to talk about individualism. And I'm going to talk about outsourcing your spiritual responsibility. Let's, let's walk through each one of these really quick, and we'll use that to kind of land our time as we consider what letter Paul Wright might, might write. If the, if the letter just said like Ellis Villians. Instead of Ephesians. Emmanuel Fellowshipians. What might Paul say to us? I think these are three things, three things he would generally challenge us on. When I say consumerism, consumerism in your faith, guys, to put that as simply as I can, that's when you treat your faith journey like your cell phone provider. That's what I mean by that. How do you get the best deal for the lowest price? That's how you pick a cell phone provider, right? That's how you pick your cable company, right? How do I get the best deal for the lowest price? So you shop around, you've got a list of what you want, you look how much it costs, you pick the one that gives you the most of what you want for the least of your money, right? And the minute the deal changes, you get that monthly bill, it's gone up a little bit, they change the service, you don't like it, what do you do? You shop around, you find a better one. Who has the best deal for the least amount of money? a lot of us can subtly apply that same logic to our faith journey. I'm here to tell you guys, following Jesus is not about you getting the most for the least. It's about you giving yourself over to the kingdom of God. Learning to reject a consumer mindset means thinking about your faith, thinking about your church family, primarily in terms of what God is calling you to give. Not what benefits you receive. Because this means giving yourself over to your local church and that community. Committing to showing up and serving. Even here, here at IFC. Because this stuff gets really practical. A consumer mindset tells you if you get offended or hurt by one of the leaders of the church, it's way easier to just go online and find a different church than to work it out. That's a consumer mindset. I don't like this. This aspect of the music is not appealing to me. I don't like the way we do these classes. Sam's really boring when he preaches. He talks way too long. Listen, I get it. Consumer mindset says, "Ah, there's like 45 churches between here and my house. I'll go on Google. I'll find one I like better. Rejecting the consumer mindset means battling against that idea and going, has God called me to this church? Has he called my family to this church? Man, if he's called me here, then what what does it look like for me to give? This means really practical things. This means things like attending, right? If God is put in your heart a local church to be a part of, show up. Not just once a month, not 15 minutes late, but actually give yourself over to experiencing the gathering of believers. Take part in the classes. Jump into discipleship as your schedule allows you to. If God has called you to this church, Guys, come to the membership class and join. Like that's that's a real thing to consider. Find a community, join a GC, jump into a Bible SIP, a Bible study, or a discipleship class, even though you're busy. I know you're busy. Listen, I have four kids. I get it. You've got soccer and sleep schedules and work commitments and friends and a life outside of church. I get it. Those things are all true. But you should still consider what it looks like to sacrifice of your time that you might be given over to loving and serving your church. Figure out what your spiritual gifts are and use them. Serve on one of our teams. Start a Bible study. Disciple someone else. Guys, consumerism tells you what do I get from this and if I'm not getting what I want, I'm going to jet. I think the Bible challenges us to flip that on its head and go, God has brought me to this family. How can I pour out to his glory on their behalf? Does that make sense? Materialism is when your faith, honestly, is simply loving this world and its comforts and pleasures more than you love the kingdom of God. Materialism works its way into faith when we we care about our faith, but we also like actually really love this life and love this world. You know, Jesus gave the parable, the different kinds of seed. He talked about this experience the seed that grows up and it's choked out by weeds and it doesn't produce much fruit because the cares and pleasures of the world distracted them from the kingdom. Because this is the spiritual trap of suburban America. I'm speaking this to myself as much as I am speaking it to you, I promise. Because we've got to be honest. If you compare our life to all of human history like the whole planet as long as there's been humans around, ours are generally pretty great. Yes, we have hardships just like everyone, but generally, suburban American life is pretty good. It's pretty good. It's easy to subtly begin to live for the pleasures of this world. To live for that good job and the promotion you get and the money it provides, the nice house, the comfortable weekends with a wide open schedule, to enjoy TV, to engage in fun entertainment, to find a fulfilling marriage, to have great family and kids and great vacations, the American dream can seem more immediate and more real and more pleasurable than the kingdom of God. Right? I mean, that's not fun to admit, but we all know that's true. (laughs) We all know that's true. You combat this when you choose kingdom over comfort. You reject this when you put the kingdom of God in front of your comfort. This means you discipline yourself to show up and be involved even though it's inconvenient. God's called me to this church. I'm going to show up. I'm going to go to Sunday morning. I'm going to jump into my small group. I'm going to get up early to go to that Bible study before work. Whatever that looks like. Even though it's inconvenient. It means being faithful to give financially to your church instead of hoarding your money for yourself. That's a for real thing, right? Like part of rejecting that idea of materialism is going, All right, God's called me here and so I'm going to be faithful in giving not just of myself and my time, but of my finances. It means serving, looking for needs around you relationally and practically and meeting them. We we'll Talk about individualism or maybe even hyper-individualism. By this I mean believing that your spiritual responsibility ends it yourself or your immediate family. Whew. Let's sit with this one for a second. This one can be so dangerous, and while Jesse is definitely going to speak more to this idea next week as he digs into connection, we can't skip over this. You cannot just consider yourself and Jesus and move on. You can't. If you follow Christ, you cannot just go, it's me and Jesus, we're good. But there's more than that. If you follow Christ... You can't just consider yourself, your spouse, and Jesus and move on. I love Jesus. I love my wife. I'm good. It's more than that, though. You can't just consider yourself, your spouse, and your kids and Jesus and move on. You can't. That's good. I'm following Christ. I love my wife well. I point her to Christ. I love my kids well. We do this like nightly devotional thing. We're good. Guys, that's not how it works. Your spiritual responsibility, according to Scripture, moves beyond your immediate family. It does. You cannot do faith on your own. The church of Jesus is larger than your house. We live in a culture that encourages you to hide behind your garage door, right? Life is about your personal success. And beyond that, it's just for you, your life, your immediate family. That's just it. And guys, listen, don't mishear me here. Your spiritual health and the spiritual vitality of your immediate home, that's incredibly important. You should care about that a ton. You should be growing in your faith. If you're married, you should be challenging your spouse. If you have kids or grandkids, you should be pouring the gospel into them. Yes, amen. Please don't mishear me. I'm not telling you to not care for your family spiritually. What I'm telling you is that if you are in Christ, you, beloved, have been adopted into a new family, and you have a larger family obligation than simply those people who live in your house. So more than that. And beloved, I want to encourage you to look around this room. Because there are people in this room who don't have that option to hide behind their garage door with their spouse and their kids. There are folk who are single, folk who are widows and widowers, folk who are dealing with deep hurts. And they've been adopted into your family just alongside you by the power and blood of Christ. And you bear spiritual responsibility for them. They're your family in Christ. You care for them. You reach out to them. You pour yourself out on their behalf. Because this one is as practical as you can get. You need to be involved in the communal life of the church. You need to disciple and be discipled. You live your faith beyond your immediate circumstances. And I'm telling you guys, this pushes against the cultural idols of West County. Last one, outsourcing spiritual responsibility. What I mean by this is when we avoid the hard work of faith because we just can follow the right earthly leaders right? You plug into the right church. That's not me, trust me. You find the right podcast, the right author, the right denominational leader, the right theologian, the person who is really important in your faith journey, and you just latch onto them and go, yeah, it's good because I follow this person. I have read their books. I know what's going on. I remember what they told me back in the day when they discipled me. I'm good. I'm here to tell you guys. It's more than that. You have to take responsibility for your own faith journey. Hear me, the gospel's free, and Jesus is the one doing the work of sanctifying you, but you have to take personal responsibility for engaging Jesus in this work. You can't just join the right church or subscribe to the right podcast or YouTube channel and ride on the coattails of someone else's faith until you die. That's not how it works. This is your faith journey. You will stand before the judgment seat of the Lord with Christ at your side as your advocate and no one else. No pastor will be there to help you. It will be you and Jesus. You are responsible for your own faith journey. You have to be involved. And guys, in a very practical sense, this means you must actively engage your spiritual growth. It is on you whether or not you take up spiritual disciplines individually and corporately. That is on you. Is your faith important enough for you to read the Bible? Guys, that's about as basic as we can get, but I'm dead serious when I say that. Is your faith important enough for you to read your own Bible? Listen, I'm so serious when I say this. One of my greatest joys in life is to come up here and talk to you guys about the Bible. It is an insane privilege that you allow me to set aside time in my week to study the word and pray and consider and bring to you the fruit of that study. I love to do that and I will do that as long as you allow me to. I'm so serious. But you are ultimately responsible for your own faith journey. And if the only time you get in the word is when you come hang out here and you hear me talk about it, you're in trouble. You're at risk of being tossed about by the cunning of this world. You're responsible for engaging your own spiritual disciplines, reading the Word, studying it, knowing it, memorizing it, praying, meditating, journaling, making sure you know what you get your spiritual gifts are and how you use them. you got to take responsibility for it. So consumerism, materialism, hyper-individualism, and taking personal responsibility. Guys, I know that I just slammed you guys with a lot. And a lot of it was really practical, Right? Show up and do this. Sign up for this. I want to encourage you guys as we end out today, don't feel overwhelmed this morning. Please don't feel beat up by me this morning. Remember, you are the beloved of Jesus. He gave you your salvation as a free gift from Him, apart from your works, and here this church, He gave you your salvation as a free gift from Him for you, apart from your spiritual maturity. Your salvation, your place in the kingdom, your adoption into the family is not endangered by your immaturity. You are secure in Christ. He loves you and he sought you out. Even though I just named a hundred things that we all, myself included, likely need to do to grow in our faith, God is gracious. He knows your limitations. He knows you are dust. He is patient with us, desiring that all would come to salvation and maturity in Christ. You can't, and you don't have to fix every weakness in your faith journey immediately. You can't do it. You don't have to. Rather, rather, what you need to do is commune with the Holy Spirit and ask Him very plainly, very genuinely, what is your next best step? We are all on a journey in our faith. We are all being sanctified, which means we all have a next step in our faith, all of us. So I'm encouraging you to ask Jesus what yours is. He'll tell you. I mean, it may be as simple as just come to church on Sunday mornings more consistently. Learn to sacrificially, to give financially to your church. Join the hospitality team so you can help hand out communion. Or, or, or join the prayer, or begin praying for your lost co-worker. It may be something that simple, but beloved, we all have a next step in our faith in Jesus. We all have a next step in our experience of his gospel. We all need to grow. Beloved, healthy things grow. If you're experiencing Jesus, you will grow. You will grow. Emmanuel, we will, we will dig our roots down deep. We will spread them as wide as the Spirit of God faithfully draws each of us to greater maturity and greater unity. Christ is pouring into us, and I believe he will overflow out of us into the world. believe that. We all know the world needs more Jesus. Amen? So here's how we're going to land today, band, if you want to come back up. I want to encourage you to take just a minute in this space before we close out our time together and just as clearly as you can, ask the Lord, Lord, what is my next step? Find some space in this room for you to get alone with Jesus. If you can do that in your seat, that's awesome. If you want to get on your knees somewhere in the room, you can invite invited to do that. If you want to ask one of the pastors to pray with you, we would love to do that. But I want to invite you to come to Jesus and just ask him. Lord, what is my next step? And if God gives you clarity on that, I'm gonna give you one more, one more little action bit. If God gives you clarity on that, if you pray that prayer and just immediately like that conviction pops in your head, this is what I need to do in my faith, I wanna encourage you before the day is up today, share that with someone. With a friend, with a spouse, with one of our pastors, one of our deacons, someone from your gospel community, share that with someone so that we can be in it with you. Because we don't just grow, guys. We grow together. All of us. So let's let's walk together. Let's see each other grow into the amazing future God has for us. Amen. Take a few minutes to be in prayer and then we'll continue on.